You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Welcome to Between Bites on the New Orleans Pelicans Podcast Network. Larry Miller and Nina Compton here. We're joined today by Hal Asimu Harris, photographer and uh, chronicler of New Orleans for quite some time now. Welcome, Kasimu. Thank you. I just want to start saying I think we have a theme song every time we walk in a room because you are always dressed. Definitely, where it's just, I don't know if it should be Stay Cool by The Roots, or... Oh, you've already got his music. I thought about it. I'm like, you need a theme song when you walk into a room where it's just cute. So what would be your theme song? Oh, wow. You know, that's a good one. Because <laughs> I appreciate y'all styles, too. Like, truly. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Let me think about that one. We'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll come yeah. back to that. But right. another question about style. How many hats do you own? I think about 15, okay, yeah, but fine. since I've had kids, they start to play with them and sit on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. yeah. So it's reduced the inventory. Indeed, yes. <laughs> yeah. Or you could just go shopping somewhere. I know. Casimo, um, you are very gifted both uh, in your visual art and your written art, and I believe you started off as a writer. Correct. And then grew into transferred into photography. How did that work? How did that come about? I started writing in two thousand one, and uh, the long a short story. Whatever you'd like. <laughs> uh, it was two thousand one, and I was in middle. I was at school at Middle Tennessee State University, and uh, I just remember watching this movie Fighting Forrester with uh, Sean Connery. And I forget the other guy's name is Rob, Robert Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a guy, he was like precocious, but he was a basketball player too. And uh, he lived somewhere in New York. And I just thought it was really cool that he could write. And then uh, it was a bunch of unrelated events that inspired me to write. One was 
someone sent me a nasty email one time, <laughs> and they played. And, <laughs> so I hit the reply all button, and everyone was really impressed by my reply. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the reply all that went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. I, I started off at two brute. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and then after that, um, I used to read my fraternity's journal all the time, uh, Cap Alpha Psi, and the editor at the time, his name was Jonathan Hicks, and he wrote for the New York Times for like 23 years, so his writing was very different, very lush, and uh, it really uncovered a lot of things, and I was reading journals that was like 20 years old, because this was the 80s. So that's how I started writing, and the first thing I wrote was a sports story, um, about University of Tennessee Chattanooga uh, moccasins, a tennis tournament. And I went out there with a reporter's notebook and a tape recorder, and uh, I got back to my dorm room and realized that I never recorded it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. So, and I didn't know much about tennis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not enough to go ahead and fill it. Nah, nah. I, I did it, though. I did it. So for a while, for a long time, I wanted to be a sports reporter. And then when I went to graduate school in 2005, I, uh, at the time, I just really wanted to be a features writer for a magazine, but Hurricane Katrina happened, mm -hmm. and I was a TA for a guy named D. Michael Cheers, who had been a photographer for Ebony and Jeff for a number of years, and he insisted that I return back to New Orleans, my birthplace, uh, I would fail, and I really refused to come, and uh, it was about 45 days after Katrina when I came back, and I still had that reporter's notebook. But it was really the camera that guided me through dealing with the trauma of seeing your uh, beloved hometown so destroyed. Right. So, you know, writing in 2001, photography in uh, 2005. Yep. So that's how it happened. Do you, when you talk about writing versus photography, there are similarities and there are differences in telling the story to me that writing you've got rules that are established by whoever says that these are the rules of writing. They're by man. Photography rules are governed by the physics that comes out of the camera. Correct. Plus your vision. Again, it's your creativity in your head, but do you find one more rewarding than the other? Or I know that photos are edited as well um, when they're for publication versus for your, for your, uh, for your shows. Is there one that you feel more control over exactly getting the story that you wanted? Writing versus photography. I would say at different essences. At different essences. At, at times you, you felt beholden to the editor, regardless of the medium. One time I was writing about daiquiris, and it was at the time of like great upheaval in our country. I think Mike, Mike Brown and uh, Ferguson, mm -hmm. and I felt a little odd to write about daiquiris at the time. Like, I felt like I should be writing about more pressing issues, but uh, I realized that, you know, despite the struggle, we all need some respite, you know, no matter how hard we're working. And, uh, but I put in uh, some contextual things about daiquiris and how to relate it uh, to, you know, the Caribbeans and uh, black people and labor. And the editor just took it all out. <laughs> so <laughs> I, def I felt pretty deflated. And uh, for photography, I've learned that if you don't really like the picture, don't send it to the editor. If it's just kind of like, uh, just don't send it. Otherwise, I've recently, 
I said a picture that I liked that someone didn't like, but I thought they liked it, and man, they ripped me a new one. Well, <laughs> how about when you get an assignment for, you know, and, and you've been, uh, your talent has been recognized by a lot of really great things, National, National Geographic, New York Times, some of those were about you and your art specifically, some were stories that you were hired to take the photos. How does that impact how you take the photos? Do you just go out to shoot? For one of the things, the, the National Geographic um, one, there's a photo of Terrence Williams, big chief of the Black Hawk Company, mm-hmm. and it was a protest against uh, police brutality and racial inequality right around that time you're talking about. And when you take that photo, do you know, are you taking that photo to take that photo, or are you taking it to match the story that you think will be written by somebody else? That's a great question. Sometimes you're just trying to, a lot of times because pictures are so prevalent, you really want to show something that we see ordinarily in an extraordinary way. So the photo, yeah, the photo, it just happened that the light was right. And, you know, he had a a braid on and a feather representing being a, a black masking Indian. And you took it. Uh, now, uh, when it's an assignment for someone else, you know, I get what I know the requirements are. You're going to have, like, wide, the whole picture, medium, uh, then tight, the details. And then from there, before I get bored, I really start to get creative and try to do other things. But you, you always have to get what's required first. And even when you're doing something for yourself, it's like you... When I'm shooting black bars, you know, I want to try to get the exterior of the building. So, uh, you, I just always want to try to push the storytelling in in a, a new way and for every everything. So tell us about that project, Banishing Black Bar, because I was Larry and I went to see your exhibit, and I was moved to tears when you were speaking about it because it's such a special project. So I think more people need to know about this Thank project. You. Thank you. It. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I'm sure you all in your creative endeavors can think of what you're doing now and how long ago those seeds was planted, but you didn't really realize it. So I think that's how the black bars are for me. I, I intentionally started doing it in 2018, uh, but you know, I realized that I've been going to black bars since I was a child because my mother uh, liked to go to bars, but really my sister was singing and her dad was playing at a bar. But the project just started because uh, in graduate school, again, I was uh, exposed to Bernie Ives' Juke Joints. And I looked at it where he covered the Mississippi Delta in the 80s and these Juke Joints, which are, you know, in these black places, the blues emanated from, they were very prevalent. And by the time I got to graduate school, they were like languishing in the single digits. And I, I thought to myself in graduate school, like, man, I should do that for New Orleans and the black bars in New Orleans. And uh, I just scribbled it in a notebook and kind of thanked it. But then in 2017, I realized that a lot of the black bars were turning white, like really quickly. Um, so that's what, that was really the impetus of starting the project. And, you know, going to some places that I had gone before and going to places that I've never been before. And, uh, realizing that these places were far more relevant than just a place to get drinks. They were a place for community. They were a place for uh, gathering. 
they were a place, they are a place uh, where the black uh, cultural traditions are practiced via social aid and pleasure clubs and black basket Indians. And when that goes, the culture is displaced. So that's really where I'm coming from. And a, a disappointment, but glad, said <laughs> selfishly, that it hadn't been intentionally documented. You know, we have, there are records of photos of black bars. I'm in one of them. Michael P. Smith took one when I was a kid. Uh, Keith and Chandra, Keith Calhoun and Chandra McCormick, they have documented the bars. But for someone to do a deep dive for an extended period of time, to my knowledge, had not been done in New Orleans. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, that exhibit, I think, has brought out, and again, that one was uh, very well reported on by the New York Times, but that brought up an issue that people didn't think about. You, you always think about, oh, this place isn't here, you know, ain't there no more. Yeah. But when you talk about something in New Orleans, it's such a wonderful combination of neighborhoods and neighborhood joints, combine that with the fact that these were so woven into the community, like you said, of the Black Masked Indians, and then just the regulars, mm -hmm. one of your photos. Right. Tell us about that photo. That one is at Verrett's Lounge, which is on Washington Avenue, and Verrett's Lounge is the original name, uh, but for a long time, uh, it was called Turning Point, mm -hmm. and it was a black-owned bar. Uh, and when I went in 2018, I thought it was still a black-owned bar because it really looked that way. It's a white-owned bar now, and to my knowledge, it's the only white-owned bar that was previously black that has not displaced black culture. So in the regulars, you see two people uh, sitting on a sofa, uh, uh, sitting on a bench uh, in the bar. But behind them, you can see a black basket in the inside, and you can see a social aid pleasure club, and they have a setup of beer. And uh, it's a place that they had gone to for a long time, and they still felt welcome even once the ownership changed. So, you know, uh, that, that's what that photo is about. And, and But that's an aberration. For some yeah, of these that have disappeared. For sure. It's also very important to, to talk about these things because a lot of people don't understand how instrumental that is, especially for a city like New Orleans, because it is about the culture. Yeah. So if you have these places disappearing, that means the culture is slowly disappearing because Indeed. you can't concentrate everything into one bar, it's multiple things. So when you talk about on the roots, those are a stop. Yeah. You know, so if you don't have that, what do we have? I, I hope I never find out the answer to that, right. but it's definitely a question that I'm asking. Uh, you know, when we have the social aid and pleasure clubs, uh, they parade for about 40 weeks here in the city. Everyone usually has their own Sunday. Sometimes, yeah. they, <laughs> sometimes yeah. they double up, baby. But uh, you got to think that they're, they're parading dancing, strutting in the street for four hours. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they need breaks. They need, you know, just like in basketball, you have a timeout, you have intermission. And that's their intermission where they get to go into their favorite bar, get a drink, use the restroom, usually get some sandwiches, mm -hmm. and come back out there and strut their stuff. And, and even more importantly, uh, these, those organizations have roots back to the benevolent societies. Uh, so, almost to the late 1800s. And uh, when people, black folk, were so disenfranchised in a city, when you joined one of those clubs, it then and still gave you that 
opportunity to be celebrated within your own community. So it's a it's a weekly celebration that remains very culturally important. And speaking of social clubs, you did a very very powerful polarizing um, article about the Zulu social and pleasure club during COVID, and you talked about how many so many members um, disappeared during that time, which you know the Zulu. So the club is something that everybody looks up to. It's yeah. a very um, prestigious club. And I think that the way you documented it was so beautiful because it was very sad, but also very powerful at the same time. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, that was, you know, it was for, the, like you said, the New York Times Magazine. And it was like, you know, sometimes you do things and I know y'all accomplish things and it's like, you don't often celebrate what you do. You just kind of keep working. But sometimes you're like, ooh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of them. Yeah. So Linda Villarosa wrote it, and they called me and said that uh, they wanted me to document it. And we only had a week. And that they said it was cool to hear why you were picked. They said they loved my photography, but they thought that I could have the short end, the shorthand to be able to integrate myself into people's homes and communities quickly and get people to relax and open up and be vulnerable to allow me to have their picture taken. And this was uh, like March or April of right. 2020, so we were still very deep in deep COVID. In yeah. 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 But it, it's An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You've also said, and I mean, this is kind of a really dramatic statement, but the intersection of pain and healing... Is where the journey begins. That whether or not we're you're dealing with subjects like that, shooting during COVID, um, with an institution as big and important to the city as Zulu is. Um, I said that. You said that. Oh wow! <laughs> Man, that's profound. <laughs> I'm gonna write it down. Yeah, I'm gonna use it again. <laughs> Among other things, you are on the board of trustees for the Ogden uh, Museum of Southern. Correct. How does that feel? Um, how did that come about? And what are your, your duties? 
style. Style is how that relationship happened. Um, you know, well, first, it's, it's funny. First, I would go there for, uh, it, it has something to do with when I worked for uh, Oxford American. And I think that was the first time, a magazine. Uh, I think that was the first time I went there. And uh, I know eventually I kept going back for the Thursday nights at the Ogden. And I met Linda Green, who, when I wrote an article about her, Linda Green, the Yakimi lady, mm-hmm. Chef Linda Green. I wrote an article about her, about Yakimi. She talked about all the disappearing black bars. So like that, this was like 2015, 2016. Huh. And, uh, but with the Yagden, I just kept doing more and more things with them. And, you know, I think my profile kept growing in the city, um, first with style and then with exhibiting. And, uh, like, I would host uh, Sipping and Searsucker for them, so they, the intersection of style and art. Uh, and I think if I've been on the board for four years, somewhere around 2018, uh, William uh, Andrews, the director, and Jesse Haynes approached me and asked me, you know, how would I feel about contributing and contributing to the board uh, by, you know, being a part of the museum, if that right. makes sense. Yep. Um, my duties really is just to try to it's like spread the gospel of the importance of Southern art and to raise awareness to the community. And you know, sometimes it's uh, just always making suggestions and how can we be better, how can we do better? You know, I know one of the buzzwords is uh, DEI, diversity and equity and inclusion training. What I can say at the Ogden is something that we were talking about even before uh, everything happened with George Floyd. So we still have a ways to go, but I, I am proud to be a part of a institution that's willing to make some changes. As being both an arts, and you were uh, elected for the Louisiana Contemporary 2016-17, somewhere in there? Yeah, I did it probably like four times. That's uh, going from, well, still being an artist and a member of the board of the museum, it, are there conflicting, do you, do you have a softer approach to the uh, oversight of a museum than before? Like, why don't, now you've been fortunate yeah. enough to be, you know, have your work hang there for quite a while, but was there ever a time when you're like, man, this museum won't show me, you know, where am I, when am I going to get my show, and now you see sort of the backside of it? Yeah, definitely. The decisions, how tough they can be? Right, right, like, uh, like a sessions, right. you know, yeah. acquiring photos, acquiring artwork, you see how that happens, like there's a sessions board, uh, so even if you want to give something to a museum, they don't like it. They ain't gonna take it. <laughs> right, right, right. right, right. It's just things like sometimes if your acquisition, your session budget isn't big, they'll get someone to donate it to the museum. Uh, so just learning different things like that has definitely helped to inform uh, my artistic practice. So now, do you see any up and coming artists that we should know locally? Like who is on the cusp of? breaking through that we need to know about, be on the lookout for? The first person I thought about, Jessica Strahan, uh, I don't, I've never even met her. Uh, she was at a restaurant uh, Saturday night. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I love her works on paper. I think she makes it on paper. I know she was in the Louisiana Contemporary. I really like her work. Uh, Trinity Thomas, mm-hmm. he's a photographer and a painter. I didn't realize he painted. I was at the Octa the other day and saw that. He's really good. Uh, there's a, a, a gentleman, Kawan Hunter, 
I think that's how you say his name. Uh, yeah, I just he just seems like some people just like really rigorous and, and, and serious. So off the top of my head, that's some of the that's names. That's the top I, three for the yeah. okay. How often do you now? No, nah, you, you know, so you, know you, you get in trouble. Somebody like, man, why are you? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I put, I put you on the spot. I put you on the spot. <laughs> um, it's like when somebody says, "What are your top restaurants?" And I'm yeah. like. There's thousands of restaurants yeah. and it's like, ooh, did I say the right one? Right. And then 20 minutes go by and I'm like, oh, I should have said this is a list. So yeah. I put you on the spot. Yeah. Forgive me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> With little kids at home, mm-hmm. you're also a dad. And they don't know that you're this big time artist and photographer. How often do you pull out the camera phone, take a picture of them, and say, man, that's a great picture? Uh, or do you, does your mind totally dissociate family pictures and from a little bit of both? Okay. Like I, I wish I more intentionally took out the real camera and documented them. Uh, but you know, sometimes you hear about the the, the cobbler uh, whose family shoes always look tore up. You know, right. Right. So, uh, That's a good right, right. So when I do do it, I am very happy just to to mark time, and I, I really wish I did it more often. And with the camera phone, like when you can keep it still, but even, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But even when it's blurry and it's moving around, it's still like it's them, it's us. Well, I was gonna say yeah. it's, it's, it's the moment, yeah, it's right. the moment, yeah. right. That you could still capture, but yeah. the rest of the civilian population is just happy with what comes out on the phone. I know right. they're still young. Do you think any of them are going to be artsy? What do you hope? I hope. I hope they at least have a deep appreciation for it. And, you know, that starts now. Mm-hmm. Showing them, uh, making sure they have a good time when they go to the museum, you know, uh, relating things to ways that they can understand it. Like, you know, what color is this for Grayson, who's nine? Uh, is this figurative? Is this abstract? You know, I, I like museums where you go, they have activity for ki- activities for kids that really help engage them and they're not bored, you know. So I, I hope uh, that they do have a lifelong love affair with the arts. How often, or how do you, because I, I know I've, I've seen you on a couple photo shoots, take a picture, you look at the screen on the camera. Do you know immediately right then that that's going to be something good? Or then it goes from on the camera, on the computer, is that what you would use now to sort through everything that you shot? Right. And then deciding to put that on paper. Yeah, sometimes before I even look at it, I know I got it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Sometimes. Sometimes I can see it before I even take it. I think that's that's not anything extremely special. Like you should visualize before you take it. Uh, but yeah, you know you, they, they call it chipping, especially if you had a second line when you take it and look and take it and look it. So you know, depending on what I'm doing, I, I try not to do that. Uh, but like when I had a chance to photograph you for uh, sixteen. Black oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was a yeah. that was a hard shoot because I remember when you came to the restaurant, they had chosen the back. Yeah. The, what do you call it? Paper. Paper, right? Yeah. yeah. And you said it's just a profile, and I'm like, there's it's shoulders and up. Yeah. And I'm like, and I think the picture you took was really fun because it was just 
head on. Right. And, you know, there's no props. Yep, yep. I remember that well. And I remember the day before, I had an assistant. So uh, he helped me. It was the day before, it was two-day wait. Mm-hmm. So my assistant helped me set up all the lights and uh, all that kind of stuff. And the next day, it was like I was by myself. So I, was like, oh, well. <laughs> I remember. I remember. It's <laughs> yeah, like so, I, I yeah. can't increase the backdrop. Yeah, yeah, right. So it was like I was looking to make sure I had it right. <laughs> and that was the first time that it was for the New York Times. Yeah. And I had I made a comment. I'm like, oh, you can just Photoshop that, right? He's like, not for the New York Times. Nah, He's like, yeah. It's, yeah. nothing is touched up. And yeah. it makes you appreciate those publications even more because nothing is touched up. It is what it is. Right. Um, so you really have to be very particular about that image that you're sending over to them. Yep, you do. Uh, yeah, it's an ethics kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I respect it. But uh, for art, like a, my one of my best friends, his name is Vida Shell. We went to graduate school together. and I can really say, you know, you meet people who help push you into things. And for art, it's, it's him. And he's always saying, like, unlock yourself from your journalism training. You know, like, push yourself. So uh, it took me, I can do it now, like, fluidly go back and forth. Uh, but, you know, if, if it's something that's not journalism related, you know, I could move about it or I could ask people to, to do things. Even though for the Vashti Black Bar series, I, I don't really do that. But, you know, I could. But it's just always cool. In other series of my work, everything is truly staged, and uh, I really like that. Just unlocking yourself. So, what's next for you? What's the next? Money, money, money. money. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I told you you need to make the Vanishing Black Boys into some kind of series. Well, unfortunately, too, it's an ongoing project. Right. Correct. Yeah, and you, you always wonder when do you stop? Um, but I feel like I'm just getting started. You know, there are other, other cities I want to go to. I've been working in Pittsburgh, and I'll go back there for three months next year. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there's a, the black, one of the black neighborhoods there is called the Hill District. Uh, it's very beautiful, overlooks the city. Uh, you know, I, I've started, I've done a little bit in Mississippi, and Mississippi is, uh, I would guess, like, it's the Hill County for photography for black bars because Bernie Himes did it so much, and Someone else, uh, someone else did it too. But then uh, another unexplored territory for me are the black bars in Los Angeles. And you think about the westward migration from you know Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, out west. So uh, you know, I'm speaking into existence. It's to do a book, and there's there's to do a documentary series. And, uh, you, you have know, to, yeah. You have to. So that's that's really the goal and the vision. How much support did you have? coming up as you became more recognized from other photographers. We were watching uh, uh, Heart to Heart, Chris Rock and 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 Kevin Kevin Hart speaking, and they were talking about the comedians kind of reaching down or always being there to encourage the young bucks to, you know, you got to You got to keep going, push them. Did you experience that? I know that you, you have, uh, you have a lot of uh, very high profile friends in, in the art world. Um, how did that help you? Did it come later in, in your career or as you were developing your art and photography? I think it came a little bit later with photography, with writing. I was in writing groups pretty much when I moved back to New Orleans, so 2008. Uh, and you had that community 
I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes you feel like you have no support, but when you really look at it, you see the support that you have in various ways that people show support. So, like, I met Dao Bay and I want to say maybe 2015, and then we really got cool in 2017. And to have someone in his magnitude to call and just navigate things and, you know, you still make mistakes, but uh, like I tell my kids all the time, like there's some things that are avoidable, you know, so I, I find that to be important. But I've all, even before him, I think of people like Frank Relly here in New Orleans who I, I would just call and uh, just so sharing with knowledge, Keith and Chandra uh, also like that. So I've had, I've had help and it's been uh, invaluable and as a photographer now, even though I still have places, and a writer, I still have places I want to go. Whenever I, people ask me stuff, I'm just really sharing the talent, because not talent, but knowledge, because there's just certain things, like, how do you put together a portfolio? Uh, I remember a lot of the New York Times stuff came because I got into the New York Times portfolio review, and it's like speed dating, you meeting with curators. <laughs> it really is, because you had a table for like 20 minutes. But, uh, I kept getting rejected, and finally I asked someone, Brett Lewis, to look at my portfolio and help me with my sequencing. You know, so some of, some of it is being humble enough to ask. That's, that's, sure, the, that's yeah. the thing, because a yeah. lot of people, they think they have it, and when you give them advice, they're like, no, no. Yeah. But it's, it's about being, like you said, humble. But you know what I just realized, too? If you'd have known Dawu back in the day about your tennis article, <laughs> he could have filled in that for you and then maybe you never picked up a camera I know right that would have been messed yeah. up I'm glad that tennis article did not come to <laughs> well I wrote it I still wrote it oh you it. did write it oh yeah no I wasn't gonna miss that day <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and find that yes my favorite article is the wrong number oh that's my that needs yeah. to be tell tell all our listeners about that because that yeah. is a really when I read that article I felt like I was in in it. Yeah. I really did. That uh, so that was a story that I experienced after Hurricane Katrina when the phones were barely working and uh, I just got this I would get these random text messages and I would respond blindly and essentially uh, <laughs> I found out I was talking to like a twelve year old little girl. <laughs> <laughs> I only found out because her big sister called and cussed me out with the most New Orleans <laughs> ever, which I can't repeat here, but it was a good cussing. And, uh, but then after that, and she realized that I, I wasn't doing anything predatory. She started calling me, and we developed this phone relationship for a couple of months. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where you're dealing with trauma and how do you cope and things that help you navigate. But... It was, I wrote it in 2005, revised it, revised it, uh, and finally, last year, uh, I had it published in a bitter southerner, and uh, it, it got some good reviews. It's great. Yeah. It's a beautiful article. Thank if you, you haven't read, please check it out. It really transports you back in time where it was just a friendship blossom out of yeah. just a silly mistake of yeah. the wrong number. Yeah, wrong numbers, roadies, and whispers. Yeah. <laughs> so good. That needs to be a short series or something. I, I don't know. I love art. You know, it's like you just have these aspirations of what you want to do. And for me, it's all, the umbrella is all storytelling, you know? 
Uh, not that anything's wrong with it. For me, when I pick up another skill set, it's not like I'm saying I want to be a fashion designer. You know, it may be that I'm looking at another medium of to tell stories. Like one time, I talked to Karen May Weems, who's multifaceted, multidisciplinary, and I said, uh, "Well, how come sometimes you choose to do this?" And she said, "Sometimes she said I'm merely the arbiter of the work, and sometimes I want to put uh, photos on the wall, the museum walls. Sometimes I want to take it off. So it's just a way of." expressing my creativity and that's how I look at you know doing different things all under the umbrella of storytelling so I you know at some point I want to do a movie or write a script or direct but you know it's still storytelling for me what is the biggest I don't know how to say it the secret you have a photo that there well you won't tell me the secret because it's a secret <laughs> but for example you're shooting skiers coming down a mountain and you have the ability through the camera to make the viewer feel cold. Is there anything that you have done in a photography, either lighting-wise or the exposure, that you kind of patted yourself on the shoulder? Like, I, I did that right there. And it, it, yeah, it, it does more than just the visual representation of the subject. Um, yeah, a few times. Uh... One, there's this thing called Wild Man Cone. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go back to, I really love sports. And I don't know the guy's name, but I watched, uh, I used to watch NFL films all the time. Sure. And then the photographer for the, for the San Francisco 49ers talked about, this is in the 80s when Bill Walsh was coach. And uh, basically he said, it's like being at a concert. Everyone sees what goes on on stage, but the intimate moments are the moments you don't see behind the stage. So he has all these intimate photos of like Bill Walsh and Joe Montana just showing you things that we don't see. So access is one thing and then trying to show it in a different way going back to that. But there's this photo I took Wild Man Calm where uh, the black masking Indian, his name's uh, Federson, Jerome Federson, is walking from Bo Dallas's house to Second Dryer's Bar. And he walks through the neighborhood, and he's a wild man, so he's really like to get back to, like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like, move, move. <laughs> uh, but when, when the Indians get on the street, uh, around people, it's nothing about it that's calm. Right. And people are so crowded, and then they have so many other photographers around. But this photo, he was, like, really still, and he walked under the street lights perfectly. And, you know, I was, you know, I'm walking backwards, and I just could see the street lights and just anticipate the moment. So I know, like, sports photography is like that. Like, once you know what's going on, you know, someone hit a single, what's going to happen at third, you know, anticipation. So I would say that that is uh, what I'm thinking about. And then if it's other photographers there, or even if it's not, I'm thinking about, like, how else can I show it again in a way. So that's just the secret sauce like that. And some of it is just how you feel and how you see stuff, and you know. And uh, like you know, Ray Charles didn't write Georgia on my, on my mind, but he made it his. Yeah, you know. What about when you look at pictures from different eras, and not necessarily ones that have been in museums, personal photos, mm -hmm. old pictures, and you see that the technology wasn't there, mm -hmm. or the photographer was a, a relative, and they weren't professional. Do you judge those photos, or are you able to appreciate them for what they were back then? 
Basically, what I'm asking is if you're laughing at the rest of us no, taking pictures. No, no. You know, at my exhibit, I had all those, you know, what you would just call snapshots. Very important. Uh, and, you know, they didn't have the benefit of looking at what they were doing uh, in real time. You had to wait till it was developed, you know. So I really appreciate that. And, you know, uh, as, a, as a food person, I don't go anywhere outside of New Orleans and expect New Orleans food. Like, I ain't going to really eat it unless it's at someone's house. Right, right. You know, I go everywhere appreciating appreciating that place for that place. So as far as the technology question, I appreciate it for that era. You know, if you look at, you know, Star Wars New Hope, at that time, that technology was groundbreaking. Right. You know, yeah. uh, uh, and, you know, you look at what people were able to do on just film and it's beautiful I, you know i do shoot film and it's just a different kind of feeling it, it's really rewarding you know uh so no i appreciate everything for what it is cool Cosimo, is there anything else you want to i think we're we're good we're going to wrap it up here yeah. thank you very much for thank your time for take your, us out for your art and yeah. <laughs> for your friendship yeah well i really appreciate y'all it's a it's a wonderful to know y'all and i remember how Met each and every one of y'all, both of you. It's only two of y'all sitting yeah. like <laughs> So y'all, y'all mean a lot to me. Thank you. Same here. We uh, yeah. we enjoy the time that we spend together, and it's quite a bit of time. Uh, and we're blessed to have you in the fight. All right. Keep shooting, baby. All right. I would be Make way for the rebirth, y'all. Make way for the rebirth. Yeah, Bill. Make way for the rebirth. 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 Back up. Everybody back up. Give us a rough. Give us a rough. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.